When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Me being a bet is last year was new. It was kind of new to me. Now this year it's more of a. I know what these guys are looking forward to. I know what they, they, I know what they want. I know the questions they're going to want to ask. You know, so I look forward to just giving those, answering those questions for those guys and putting them in the right position when, when they ask me those questions. That was Minnesota Vikings cornerback Xavier Rhodes. There it is. Purple Daily Time. Matthew Collar with you along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. A lot coming up on the show today, including a Zolgad in studio and hot routes. It's going to be it's going to be good and enjoyable so i was driving in today courtney and yesterday we were out at the golf tournament and we played fairly well i would like to i was happy with us i I would like to go on the record and say that we from a year till now they always talk about adjustments they talk about what you do to be better from one day to the next i very proud of us i'm for where we're at from last june to now honestly i'm proud of your game specifically thank you because you have worked a lot on it I and have. you played really well yesterday thank you there was one hole where we just let you go because it was like a scramble and we're like just they'll play it all out because you played it so well so i'm appreciate that i'm very proud of your game and i did not think we embarrassed ourselves at all we played with the cap god rob brzezinski and he really wanted all of us to raise our levels and compete He's very competitive. Yeah. He got to do the birdie dance once. I know that that meant a lot to him. I didn't want to see that, but that did happen. Yes, indeed. (laughs) And uh, the only bit of um, information that I can share with you from Rob Brzezinski, the Vikings cap guy, is that the cap does exist. Yes. So please stop saying it's a myth. Everybody out there (laughs) listening right now, we have it from the horse's mouth. It does exist. And the whole thing of, oh, the cap, the cap's the myth is, it's not cute. Like, you sound like a fanboy blogger. Please stop. Yeah. Or just somebody who doesn't really have a clue. Or someone, how any yeah, of this someone works. who's unintelligent. I mean, so please stop saying the that. The reason that the Vikings, and this is coming from me and not him, we just were joking around with him about people on the internet saying that the cap is a myth. Um, but the reason the Vikings have been able to keep everyone is not just because they have a very good cap guy. Um, but it's because ownership is willing to pay people. That's mm-hmm. why, is that they have to pony up cash to 
or uh, set up these deals the way that they do, right? To keep the cap hits lower and then make them three-year deals that are five-year deals. But you can't really do any of this if you don't have the cash on hand to actually pay the players. That was one of the problems with the Khalil Mack situation in Oakland is that Mark Davis just didn't actually have the cash to pay out as much as, or didn't want to pay out that much money in cash, and then they can make the cap work otherwise. But it is most certainly not a myth, and I think you would have to ask Kyle Rudolph about that. Yeah, There is a situation that has still not resolved itself yet, so no, the salary cap is real, and stop that. Um, but I wanted to talk to you as I, I was thinking about this yesterday when we're out there, and you know, it's a it's a fun day for the Vikings. And Kirk Cousins buys all of his offensive linemen Nike shirts, and it's just sort of one of those good atmosphere yeah. type of moments in the off season where everybody gets together. And I I kept thinking, Courtney, about this season and how this might be the last as we know it with this era. With the Vikings. And I don't just mean because everyone's going to get fired. I just mean that last year kind of felt like this a little bit where everything's going to be different after this because of the salaries. But after this, it really feels like in one way or the other, if they're good or if they're bad, that this might be the last time we have this kind of feeling, this many players who have been here for so long, that on the horizon there will be big changes after this season, and this might be their last shot to kind of do it with this group. Sure. I think that the carryover from last year's, you know, Super Bowl or bust that we were talking about in June of 2018 to now, certainly that's died down, but it's almost like, okay, they have another chance to maybe get there. Uh, I don't think the expectations are certainly as high as they were a year ago, but it's not like it's all gone to the wayside that there still is that type of belief but you bring up a good point like there could be a lot of different changes and that's not saying it's just you know coaching staff front office there are a lot of guys approaching the uh, the bad part of 30 the other side of it uh whose contracts are coming up and you know with a guy like Kirk Cousins too this is the chance this is the year that we find out are they going to extend him uh, going into the 2020 season, or is he going to be a lame duck quarterback and you know just be headed towards free agency? Like assuming you know if they if they did miss the playoffs, assuming that scenario would pan out, um, there's a lot at stake here. And I think that when you look at this situation and how the expectations differ from last year to this year, really and truly, it's. It's all hands on deck. I mean, it's it's very much a going down with the ship type mentality. I think from players' perspective, from from front office, from ownership, from from coaching staff. There's there's no more time to waste here. Yet last year might have been the year where you're getting your feet under you in this new offense with a new quarterback and trying to turn the page to that new era. But now there is no more excuse. There is no more you know rope to hang yourself with, for lack of a better term. I mean, it it's now or never. And I've had this feeling, I don't know about you, with everything that has happened around this team this offseason, when we're out there for a free agent signing, for Anthony Barr coming back, for the draft, and not so much the golf tournament. But I just thought with everybody sort of gathered in that place, in one place again, that there is a tension where it is all like, well, what's the word they use? It's palpable, palpable. Uh, palpable. Yesterday, um, yesterday was probably palpable is orange juice. That's pulp. Yeah, this was this is palp. palp. It is a palpable tension. Yeah. Uh, 
around the team because everybody knows exactly what you just said, that this feels like it is, if not the very last shot, then really close to the end of this group having their chance. And we all were asking Super Bowl or bust questions nonstop in OTAs by training camp. And I think a preseason game, Kirk Cousins uh, actually said that he had gotten tired of being asked about Super Bowl or bust. But from the outside, there's, oh, well, the Vikings are a contender again. I think from inside, it is very much Super Bowl or bust for this year. Well, it's careers or bust. I mean, it's Super Bowl or bust just in terms of what that does for, you know, who's going to be taking over this team potentially next year if things go by the wayside. Um, I like your metaphor with the golf analogy. Uh, I'm just going to go back to that because it felt like this was, that's probably the last time we're going to have a day like that where it's carefree. Yeah. Because the expectations and the heat is on, mm-hmm. even going into mini camp next week to, Get everybody up to speed so you can leave knowing teams in a good spot. When we come back in, in July, when rookies and quarterbacks report and then veterans report a few days later that everyone's on the same page, um, kind of felt like almost like that last hurrah before they really and truly get down to business because they don't have any time to waste. I mean, there's, they get this, they have a second shot at this. They got, you know, one of their, you know, cat lives, uh, another one now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not going to be that lucky to get one in 2020 if things go badly this year. How funny is it just how quick it goes if you don't have Aaron Rodgers or if you don't have Russell Wilson? Because in 2015, which isn't that long ago, this team is talked about as the rising team of the NFL. And look at all these players that they've drafted and young guys who are becoming stars around the league. They've rebuilt this under Zimmer, and here they go. They're going to be off as they're building. And I remember 2015 going into the season that every analyst was calling them kind of like the Bears last year. Every analyst was saying, oh, the Bears could be better. The Bears could be better. And then they were. That was the Vikings 2015. Oh, they've got that chance to take the next step. And then only a couple years, a couple of years later, we're talking about if they don't go to another NFC championship, people might see their heads roll. And last year, I don't remember when it was, I mean, exactly, in training camp, but even there was a little bit in OTAs or minicamp. I want to say it was minicamp, where we were out there, and there were there were things that they were happening on the field that, you know, whatever, it's just minicamp stuff. But there was a little bit of a feeling even at that point that something might be a little off or that they mm-hmm. were really feeling the pressure of everyone asking them about Super Bowl or bust. And I'm not saying that comes from us, but coming from the all-in move to get Kirk Cousins, and on a daily basis, it did not have the feeling of, you know, this team is just good, and they know they're good, and well, they're going to steamroll everybody. It it seemed to exist even then. I remember that existing then. Have you gotten that same feeling now? Because I have about this team. Yeah, yes and no. Um, to your point, that was before the third preseason game. I guess that was against Seattle, where Kirk uh, oh, yes, going into yes, that that's week. That's when it was. Because he was talking about Tom Brady and just how, remember that was the week where he, I think he had just turned 30, he was talking about Portillo's. Um, and then he was yeah. talking about Tom Brady and the advice he had gotten from Tom uh, about managing expectations. And that, right. you know, that led into the, I've been asked about the Super Bowl or bus thing every single time I'm out in the town, that whole thing. <laughs> um, it does exist this year. The same type of level, like level of hype. Um, there's tension inside that building. I mean, it is palpable. I think that you can feel it just from like a coaching staff perspective, from players, from you know inside. I mean, granted, we're not inside the locker room right now, but just in 
the way that you hear players talk and the way that you hear the season being set up from an internal standpoint and from kind of an outside perspective, um, they, I mean, the, 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 the writing's on the wall of what happens if things don't go well this year. It's very clear. Like there's, there's nothing here that's not black and white. Um, I don't know if they're going to be approaching it though, just because of the, how good the rest of the NFC is. Um, and even in, in a division still, like where, you know, a lot of places have them pick, you know, second or third. Um, I think I've seen more places in kind of that third range of where the Vikings could fall. They know that they're not the favorite anymore. And maybe that does take some pressure off you. But I also think that they know, okay, just because we're not the favorite doesn't mean that we can't not produce. What's the one thing Mike Zimmer talked about in January at the press conference that has been irking him his entire career here in Minnesota? Stringing consecutive good seasons together. He has never been able to do it. It's eluded him the entire time here. Um, You know, one really good season, you make the playoffs. Next season, eight and eight finish. NFC Championship uh, game season in 2017, last year, eight, seven and one. He's never, that's the one thing as a head coach that he's just never been able to do. And whether that's managing expectations internally, if they're doing things differently, I don't know how you can because that pressure is never going to go away. I mean, you can say, okay, we're not reading anything. We're not, the TVs in the building are not going to have uh, NFL Network on or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you don't feel that type of pressure and can play loose when, when really you have an elephant. There's an elephant in the room and there's a big weight on you as a team. Because of just how bad the letdown was a year ago. And that's definitely how it feels being out there is like everybody knows that this is kind of it for their chances to make it work. And I don't just mean Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go forward here. But just looking through the roster as we were out there and going through some of the players in my head of what their situations are, this is kind of what we do when we're thinking about what to write about. You kind of go like, okay, what's what's the potential for this guy as a story for today and that sort of thing. And what I realized is when you go up and down their contracts and their situations is – as far as players who might not be here next year, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's Xavier Rhodes, Riley Reef, Linval Joseph, Everson Griffin, Kyle Rudolph. I mean, that's most of the starters right there that are big names, aside from the only guys that I could lock in, of course, Cousins, Daniil Hunter. Dalvin Cook will be there. Dalvin Cook, Diggs Thielen, more likely than not, unless something really weird is going on with Diggs, but I doubt it. And Harrison Smith. And then after that, I mean, Anthony Barr, because of his contract. Linville I'm, Joseph's still under contract in 2020. Not even 100%. But but they can move on from they, him if they, they want can. to. They can. And, and they so can move on have, from Everson Griffin. They right. can, you know, there's a lot of things that they could do there. I mean, even Eric Hendricks, after this year, if they want to, they could move on from Eric Hendricks after this year because his cap number goes from $4 million in 2019 up to $10 million in 2020, and that's just really hard to see them paying $10 million for Eric Hendricks next year. You could be talking about running it back one more time and seeing if you can win, and if it doesn't happen, I mean, uh, I didn't even mention Trey Waynes, but sure. more, more likely than not, and, Trey, and Mackenzie Trey Alexander will be here. And Mackenzie Alexander is a free agent, too. I mean, yeah. this... This really has a feeling of a last shot this year. Then, with the cap situation that they're in, with the ages of the players, with the free agents that are coming up next year, that this could kind of be it for this group. And for whatever reason, that hit me hard yesterday. Well, I think that we talk about the Super Bowl window. 
and it does go quickly because 2017, you have this these surprises that come through and you have an eight-game win streak and you have a team that magically makes it to the NFC Championship game. And then you sign Kirk Cousins in the offseason, you're talking Super Bowl window. Okay, it's open. How long does it really last? I don't think it lasts more than two years in this specific situation. I mean, most times the Super Bowl window for teams is anywhere from like, you know, two to three years. But look at the contract situation with their guys. I mean, I remember when Kirk signed, um, and then it was, you know, the big ones after that in order were Daniil Hunter's extension in the fall in the summertime, Stefan Diggs. Uh, well, Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter, Stephon Diggs, and then Anthony Barr. And you're looking at the same, wow, look at all these guys that are under contract. You know, all these starters under contract through 2020. We were talking about Mike Remmers being in that mix, too. And then they cut him because they had cap implications that they had to fix. It's very easy to move on from guys. You mentioned Riley Reef. Um, you know, Xavier Rhodes is somebody that they could potentially move on. Linville Joseph. I mean, there's all these guys in theory that could be here. But A, you're getting past the wrong side of 30. And B... They are really not in a good place. Uh, you know, depending upon what we're what we're estimating the cap value to be about two hundred million, uh, the overall cap in twenty twenty. Right now, I have them at they're eight million under the cap right now. That's not good. No, that is and, not, and that's part of the reason why with Kyle Rudolph, it's not like just to clarify, they can afford to keep him at seven point six two five million right now. They can. They have like one point five ish, one point two five in space. And they do need to, like, I know people don't understand this, but the practice squad does count against the cap. So they need about two million. They need to clear another, like, one and a half to get there. They don't have any cushion, but they can keep him right now. It's next year that they're worried about. They want to roll that money into 2020 um, if they can get Rudolph extended. Or, I mean, heck, if you can, if you trade him or you cut him, you have that 7.625 anyways as your cushion for right now. And then you're rolling the rest into 2020. I mean, things are not. Good financially going forward, and they're really trying to do their due diligence to get it solved now, so they're not in the same situation next year at this time. And that's why I think next year, if you're looking at some guys who have drop-off type of seasons, we could be talking about huge changes. Xavier Rhodes limped a few times yesterday at OTAs or two days ago, and I just thought, man, if that starts happening again, that's the end of Xavier Rhodes here. If he mm-hmm. starts having injuries each, each week, and Riley Reef. Uh, after next year, his dead cap money goes way down, and they can move on from. They could do it right now, actually. Rhodes has uh, no guaranteed money in. Uh, he has no guaranteed money actually this year, and no, none next year. It's four point eight million to cut him, um, but he's he has a nine million nine point nine million dollar cap hit in two thousand twenty. Like they will, f- or excuse me, twelve point nine million dollar cap hit in two thousand. No way they're paying. They that. can't pay that. Yep. Like. Via restructure or whatever, I mean, he's going to be 31 years old. So here's another point about this with these players, especially on the defensive side. Uh, Rhodes, Waynes, Griffin, Linval Joseph. Mike Zimmer got his way this offseason with them keeping everybody on the defensive side. They didn't trade either cornerback to create cap space. They restructured Everson Griffin. They brought back Anthony Barr. He got his way. But that means that if it doesn't work next year, I don't think his control is like it is this year. That's even if he's here. Yeah. So let's take a quick break. I, I want to talk to you about kind of big picture today, and you can weigh in at 651-646-8255 on the show, 651-646-8255. If it goes right, who do you think is getting the most credit here? And if it goes wrong, 
Who do you think is going to be held responsible? We're going to discuss. When we return, you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. For him, we use we use Trojan, and so that he's our he's our Trojan, and I probably just gave a little bit of information away, but I'm okay with it because we can always switch it if we need to. But he's he's known as the Trojan, and you know what? We're so excited to get CP in here, and and he, I mean, this kid is six foot three, two hundred and twenty five pounds. And can fly, so uh, we're we're just fire. I, I'm I'm like a kid in a candy store. I just want to be able to just take you know. I, I got to be careful though. I can't peek too soon. I just got to pull back <laughs> and make sure we we, uh, we use them at, you know as we can. That was Matt Nagy talking about Cordell Patterson. Great find by Jonathan Harrison producing today. Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin on Purple Daily. Okay, let's address that real quick. He, um, I mean, he was having he was lost for words at yeah. some point, just talking about how wonderful Cordero Patterson is. I hope I get as excited about something today as Matt Nagy is about Cordero Patterson. Call him a Trojan. Cordero Patterson. I was just going to move right past that, um, but he to me is on the list of the very short list the of ones mistakes who got away for ones who got away. They've yeah. kept everybody for the Vikings. There are very few people that have left the Vikings during the Mike Zimmer era. And maybe this speaks to just their player evaluation or who they decide to keep and cut. Very few players who have left where you would say, oh, man, can you believe they let that guy get away? But Cordell Patterson was making videos on plane visits, going to other teams, to the Vikings, posting them, saying, I want to come back to the Vikings. Let me come back to the Vikings. And they were like, no, get out of here. Stay away. And they could have used that extra playmaker in 2017. They most certainly could have used that extra playmaker last year. And Mike Zimmer admitted that Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels were using Cordero Patterson better than the Vikings did. This is the Norv hangover, I think. Because, I mean, listen to how... I mean, I go back to whatever that was in November or December. Oh, it was right before the Patriots game. He was talking about that. It's like, yeah, like we didn't maybe use him the right way. It's like, oh, you could have used him as a running back here. Imagine... Imagine if they would have had him last year. And it was Latavius Murray and Cordero Patterson when Dalvin Cook goes down. And maybe you don't even have um, Latavius Murray here. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we can go back and rewrite that. But, like, when you think about when they let him go and the choice that they could have had to keep him. I mean, I know that you obviously were not going to pick up his fifth-year option. Um, You know, there were moments that make you think, though, Probably should have been kept here. And maybe the philosophy would have changed. The fact that he made it clear he wanted to come back. Uh, even on a new contract, even though they had, I mean, think about all the things they put Cordero Patterson through by benching him um, for an entire season with North Turner, but then finally Pat Shermer found some ways to use him in 2016, and he wanted to come back, and he signed a contract with uh, the Patriots, or I'm sorry, with the Raiders that mm-hmm. was extremely reasonable, and then I even brought it up as a potential for this year to do it again, to bring him back. He signed a two-year, $10 million contract. Super reasonable for somebody with great playmaking ability and literally one of the best kick returners in the history of the National Football League. 
I think it would have been worth bringing him back this year, but definitely bringing him back after 2016 when you saw him in the playmaker role, but you didn't expand it as much because Pat Trimmer had to take over midseason for North Turner and there's only so much you could do. I think we already should look back at that as a mistake for not keeping Patterson and uh, it might even be worse, especially now he's in your division. He's in like, your division. No, you don't want that. And I think with Chicago, um, it's something that we were going to talk about the other day. Remember what Jordan Howard said um, now that he's in Philly and like uh, just how, you know, the changes and all that. And yeah. like, I'm going to be really curious to see what happens uh, to the Bears run game and how Matt Nagy is going to use Cordero Patterson in conjunction with someone like Tariq Cohen. Um, and, and where exactly you fit him in there? Is he going to have a similar role to what he had with the Patriots? Is he going to kind of be this flex option that you can use, you know, split him out wide in the short passing game? Are you going to use him as a running back, you know, catching passes out of the backfield, you know, or in a traditional rushing role? I mean, there's so much you can do with him here that I don't know if there's going to be, I, I, I know that there's still speculation over whether we can crown or at least get towards uh, having a little bit more confidence with Mitchell Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think having a guy like Cordero Patterson is only going to help him. And you know what they love is jet sweeps. Yes, they love, exactly. Or as uh, Zimmer has called them, rocket sweeps. Football. Loves that. Uh, but jet slash rocket sweeps, depending on whether you are leaving the atmosphere or not, um, Patterson, that's his thing. And he had a few big runs on those in 2016, but they didn't really use him a lot. You're putting him in motion. Think about the difference. Taylor Gabriel is good at this. Cordero Patterson is Mm -hmm. unbelievable with the ball in his hands. So you're talking about the difference that a defense has to pay attention to on a jet sweep or jet motion of Cordero Patterson versus Taylor Gabriel. Defenses already were paying attention to that. Now they really, really do because every time they give him the ball, he could go all the way. I think it was a great signing for the Chicago Bears, and you're right. Um, if you're talking about making Mitch Trubisky's life easy, bubble screens the Cordero Patterson, and the guy could just take off and, and make big plays by himself. Um, I think that that does go under the short list of regrettable players that the Vikings let go. And, I mean, soon enough we'll find out about Teddy. I mean, that'll be the next big one. Yes. I mean, that's obviously... Little soon to be saying that, but when you're talking about the guys, the ones who got away, I mean, Cordero shoots up to the top of your list. Um, trying to think, is there anybody else that, at least for right now, probably there are not. So few who have left. Um, yeah. Adrian I mean, Peterson, yeah. I, I, no Case. regrets there. Uh, Case, Case no Keenum, regrets, no right regrets now. so far. Uh, I wouldn't expect that there will be regrets considering the team that he's playing for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, Captain Munnerlin, no regrets there. This goes back to our argument of like, or what we were bringing up in the first segment of the guys that have stayed around and the cap implications of keeping guys around, you know, in certain circumstances, overpaying to keep guys around yep. and what that does to your Super Bowl window because of, and what that does to really amp up the pressure on yourself. Um, I mean, you're, you've, you've paid a lot of money to keep your core players here, but in the long term, it might hurt you especially if you can't get it done this year. So let's talk about that. Uh, before the break, I mentioned um, who's going to get the credit if it goes right this season and who's going to get the blame. And I think that the answers aren't the same. Um, if it goes right, I think we agree on this. The path in which it goes right is the Vikings have a top five defense. 
They cause a lot of turnovers, and on the offensive side, they hit some big plays off play actions, and they're playing from ahead a lot, and they run the ball with Delvin Cook. He stays healthy. Boom, you've got a 11-win season, 12-win season, and you're right back there. You can win in the playoffs, and Kirk Cousins finally gets his playoff win. You're in the NFC Championship. Then anything can happen from there. That is a truly successful Minnesota Vikings season. In that case, Mike Zimmer will get a lot of, if not all of the credit for a 12 and four Vikings team. And you can tell me if you disagree with this. I'm saying this is, if we're talking about a truly (laughs) successful team, they go 12 and four and end up in the NFC championship. I mean, that is what their expectation is this year, right? It is to repeat what they did in 2017, at least get back to the NFC championship. So let's say they do it. It's going to be about how Mike Zimmer took his defense to another level and they were dominant again and he brought all these players back because he knew that the defense could win championships and then Gary Kubiak will get a ton of the credit because of the offense and it fitting Kirk Cousins. Those two guys will be the ones who get the most. It probably won't even be Kirk Cousins unless he performs at an exceptional level. It will be, well, you got paid to do this. Um, If things go wrong, I think the front office gets... A lot of, if not all, the heat. Do you agree with that? Yes, and because even if it does go right, it's going to be, well, you guys were expected to do this a year ago, and you, you know, some people might disagree with the choices that they made in draft and with free agency, and some might agree, but if it goes right, it's kind of like, okay, status quo, we're fine, few, like wet backs were against the wall, you know, we can kind of, you know, spotlight's not on us. Put the spotlight on Mike Zimmer, put the spotlight on Gary Kubiak, it's fine, like we don't need the credit. But if things go poorly... I mean, I th- you know, I know we talk about the front office being under fire. I think everybody is personally. I mean, I think there's a clean house and st- staff personally, just everybody. Um, Mike Zimmer, I mean, yes, they picked up his option. They can move on from him. They that can move on anything, from Rick yeah. Spielman. Um, but if they, I, I'd like to take it more into like a micro level of like if things go wrong this season. Because I was looking at the schedule. Open up against the Falcons at home. Going to Green Bay in week two, have the Raiders in week three, and then they go to Chicago and New York week five. So realistically, I mean, I cannot find my um I know I predicted them ten and six. I think I had a Falcons win, Packers win, Raiders win, and lost at the Bears. So let's say they start out four and one. That's a good case scenario where everything's good. If somehow they start out like two and three or one and four, if something bad happens, they're gonna be looking to make changes early on that would make complete sense when you have Kevin Stefanski in the role that he's in as offensive coordinator and you have Gary Kubiak in the role he's in as the advisor who gets the blame the guy calling the plays I could see that being I could see an early season dismissal um, for lack of a better term I mean that's if you want to call it reckless reckless speculation I mean that's what I would that's what I would consider I'm gonna write Um, something down and show it to you I mean I want your reaction okay um there would have to be some sort of changes because, as we've talked about... This is one of these. It's a Zolgad That comment. is a... Z- I, just, <laughs> I wrote down Zolgad. This is a Zolgadian comment. I don't well, disagree with you, though. I've got... So you think that there's well, scapegoat possibilities yes, if things go wrong? thousand percent, because you have a guy like Gary Kubiak. You bring him in, not in a full coaching role. 
We, I mean, we've talked about it. This is technically his philosophy being implemented into what Kevin Stefanski was already doing here when he took over, you know, three games remaining in the 2018 season. And Stefanski has talked about what his philosophy is. It's a conglomerate. He's never said, this is my offense. It's a mix of, you know, Brad Childress. It's a mix of, um, you know, Pat Shermer. A lot of different influences in one. So you bring in Gary Kubiak, and we still really don't know why he was hired. Um, we never really got the full answer as to I mean, we know why. We don't know the how. Um, so I think that there are possibilities. We really don't have any answers no. on that. No um, one would give us any answers in even when. So when did you uh, contact Gary Kubiak? I don't know. Oh, yeah, we've been talking. Like you know, Why my, my... did you contact Gary Kubiak? I don't know. <laughs> um, but there's, there's, in my brain, I think that Kevin Stefanski here could very easily, just like they did with John Filippo last year, if you need somebody to be your fall guy or, you know, and, and just to pl- to assign blame to be able to move on if things are not going well, it's got to be the guy who's calling the plays. And you're looking to be like, yeah, lack of lack of experience. Maybe this wasn't the right call. Gary Kubiak, you're already here. You're already in an advisor role. Why don't you just take over? And then you have your offensive coordinator who is somebody who's, you know, a Super Bowl winning coach. Um just happen to be waiting in the wings. It seems, a, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but it seems a little too perfect that you'd have this guy that was not coaching for the last two years, who was doing scouting work in front office and personnel stuff in Denver, miraculously just, oh, he's around. He's here. Gary, Gary's here. Let's go get Gary. Like so that, you're saying, and, I, and I'm not saying I disagree with this, but it's just an interesting take that there's basically somewhere in that building there's a box that says break in case of need of Kubiak, right? <laughs> like he's here. And if it's two and three break in need of Kubiak. So if yes. they want to yank the play calling abilities away from Kevin Stefanski in week five, yeah, even if even, they don't fire him, saying firing him that like, they've got a backup basically. That is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, it makes total sense, does it not? Because you have a guy who said, I don't want to be a head coach anymore. You know, he had health issues. He's he's done it before, but he still wants to be an advisor. But it feels like, and maybe it's the media, maybe it's us blowing it out of proportion, where we're saying it's Gary Kubiak's offense, we're talking philosophy, but you talk to players, they're talking about the Shanahan system with Kubiak. I mean, they're saying it. They're saying the influences. Um, you know, I was talking with Sean Mannion about this the other day of just the little nuances he picked up right away. All Shanahan influences all relates to what he learned in with the Rams. Um, you know, in, in that same system, and also what Kirk Cousins knows. What's the common denominator there? Gary Kubiak. I mean, players talk about Coach Kubiak and what he's doing. They're not saying Coach Stefanski in the first breath. I mean, it's the both of their offense together, but. It just seems to me that the timing of the hire and the way that that was made, number one priority this offseason was to put pieces around Kirk Cousin, Cousins with both the coaching staff and with the personnel itself to bolster and make him comfortable, make him make this as seamless of a transition as possible. Bringing Gary Kubiak did that, and you also have a really good emergency option. I know Gary has said he doesn't want to coach, but I'm sure it's kind of like, hey, if things hit the fan here, mm-hmm. you're going to be calling plays. We're not going to make you the play caller right now because it's Kevin's job. You know, he's worked for us. He's been here 14 seasons. Let's let him do it. But you're the emergency option, and he probably knows that. So let me circle back to if it goes right. Okay. Is Kevin Stefanski getting credit if it goes right? And is Kirk Cousins getting credit if it goes right? 
Well, depending upon what Kirk does. I mean, it could go right and could be the defense. If Kirk has another 4,000-yard, 30-touchdown, and 10-interception season, and it's the defense that ends up saving the day, Kirk's not. I mean, Kirk will probably still get extended if they go to the playoffs, but I don't think he's getting much of the credit because I think people will be able to see through that, that it wasn't just that it wasn't him. Well, that's kind of my question. I mean, in the best case scenario, we're talking about 12 and four and a return to the NFC championship. In the best case scenario, that will have to have meant that um, Kirk Cousins played really well. But when Case Keenum got them to the NFC Championship, a lot of it was the credit went to Stephon Diggs, the yep. credit went to Adam Thielen, the credit went to the defense. The I think it would be a very Zimmer. similar situation where so there's pause in giving Kirk all this credit, um, unless he really and truly can change the way he's played for the last seven years of his career, which, I don't know, going into year eight, you don't think people change their you know, change their makeup that much. But um I think he will be credited for doing enough to get them in maintaining and being a game manager and all that. I think he will get the credit for that. But by and large, the credit will go back to, as you said, Mike Zimmer made the focal point in the 2019 offseason, all in on defense and free agency. You guys can go ahead and do what you want, the first four picks with offense and the draft, but I want to keep my guys here. Um, and that's why they didn't even start addressing the offensive line until they got Josh Klein. That was the second or third wave of free agency. It was defense first mm-hmm. because I know the identity of this team, of my team, is defense. And that's what's going to win games in his mind. Um, they want, you know, he wants to get back to playing the style of ball that they played with him in the first few years here in Minnesota. And, and even more than that, just with running the ball and, He doesn't want to be a flashy offense. He doesn't want to be an offense that is competing with the likes of the Saints, of the Chiefs, of the Rams, of these high-powered teams that score a lot of points. He just wants to get it done his way in the way that he knows how to win, which is through defense. Do you ever think with Zimmer that that will be, if it goes wrong, just playing out these scenarios, and wrong I mean anything out of the playoffs is pretty much it goes wrong, because it, it might not matter if it's seven and nine or one and fifteen if it's not in the playoffs. Assuming that Kirk Cousins is healthy, if he's not, then well, what are you going to do? Um, but if there is a downfall with Mike Zimmer, it's it, we'll look back at it and say it was bringing the defensive guys back and it was being super committed, overpaying for guys that you didn't maybe you didn't need, super committed to his guys and super committed to his way of winning. Which is why you hire him to bring him here to improve the defense that was a bus fire in 2013. It was dead last, and he turned it around. He's done everything that he was supposed to do as a head coach. He's gotten you to an NFC championship. He won with defense the entire time. He's had an elite defense, and he's one of the uh, highest winning percentage coaches that's around. He's one of the longest tenure coaches that's around. But if there was ever a situation for a coach who's always had this one mentality to completely turn and go a different direction. It would have been after seeing what happened last year with the 20th ranked offense in yards and 19th in points and say, you know what? We just can't compete with these better teams focusing so much on the defensive side with all of our cap spending and we've got to go a different direction. Now that would be, I think a more sort of dynamic way of going about it, meaning just, um, someone who felt like they could win in multiple different ways. I think Zimmer has it in his head exactly how he believes that a team can win in the NFL, and he has stuck with that. And if there's a downfall, that's what it will be. Yes. 
It will be his stubbornness, his commitment. It will be. To that. The, it will be. We talk about him adapting, and he does defensively, but it will be not wanting to try to compete with how other teams are doing it in the NFL, which is this is a passing league. Teams are not like the NFL is designed now not to stop these teams. It's just basically to to mitigate it a mm-hmm. little bit. So you have games that look like Vikings Rams week four more often. Yep. Um, that's how you sell tickets. That's how you get a fan base. That's how that's just what's exciting in today's NFL. Um, I have another Zilgadian point. Oh, I want, I'm curious about what you're going to think about this one. Do you want to wait for the other side of the break? I do. I do. Okay. And also trade rumors that don't make at sense. At least Vikings fans think are trade rumors, um, but don't involve the Vikings actually at all. Six five one six four six eight two five five from the TCL broadcast studio. You are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Good. It's more communication type thing. You know, more communication, working on little things and little details of our game. You know, we, we compete here and there, but uh, it's more try to build a camaraderie, try to come together as a defense, as a team. And then once camp comes, that's when the competition and we battle them each and every day. We have a ticket giveaway on tap right now. We do. One winner will receive four one-day passes, good for any day of the KPMG Women's Championship at Hazeltine National, June 18th through the 23rd. For tickets and info, please visit kpmgwomenspga.com. And to win these tickets, you have to be the fifth caller. Number on number, I can't even see it over here. It's 651-646-8255. I should have that memorized by now. Can I call? Because I actually really want to go to that. I'm sure we can. Do you think maybe actually? You know, I don't want to like get myself in trouble with the promotions department and like try to like finagle this. But that's. I mean, I would love. There's a lot of good golf coming mm-hmm. to the Twin Cities this summer, from this championship to the 3M championship that's coming up in July. So yeah, exciting stuff. Fifth caller six five one six four six eight two five five. All right, you have another Zolgadian take. You've already fired Kevin Stefanski by week five. Assuming things go poorly and looking at the schedule, <laughs> I, I know, they I was hypothetical. Looking at the schedule, I don't think they will. Just because I don't think that these defenses are going to, you know, for the Falcons, for the Packers, for the Raiders, Bears. Yes, I do think that's going to be a huge test and the game at Soldier Field. But I think by Week Five they'll be fine. Gary Kubiak has said he does not want to coach. He does not want to be a head coach. Could you convince him though? Could you convince him at the age that he's at of being able to? take over potentially for Mike Zimmer if things get so bad here this season that they decide clean house. But Gary Kubiak just got here and he was never a coach on the day to day. He was just the advisor. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the problem. What if Gary Kubiak is next in line for the head coach? For head coach. Minnesota Vikings. Hmm. So what we were doing here, if you're wondering why we're talking about this, is playing out the best and worst case scenarios and who would get credit and blame if those happened um, and on the blame side, which is always more interesting than the credit side, uh, G- Gary Kubiak's role in this is really interesting. And I even think about from so much conversation about Kubiak because he is a legend in the NFL with his coaching experience, with being the backup to John Elway and, and the offense being so successful for such a long time with Gary Kubiak and it the roots go all the way back to Bill Walsh, which always has this extra aura to it about him. And if you 
look at any of the clips of people talking about the Minnesota Vikings this offseason, it's always, well, Kubiak's there with his new offense. No one is saying, well, it's Kevin, Kevin Stefanski. And, uh, but I do think they'll start saying Kevin Stefanski if things go wrong. But if you're talking about what could happen if this is the worst-case scenario after this year, see, I've been thinking this. Tell me if I'm crazy or not. But I think that if it is the worst case scenario and they go six and 10 or something, let's say it's a total meltdown. I wonder if Zimmer stays in the front office, doesn't. And my reasoning on that is well, he was directly responsible, I am certain, for bringing back all those defensive players. If they go six and 10, it's because the quarterback didn't play well. And Mike Zimmer did not sign the quarterback. But he agreed to it. He agreed to it, but he's not the one who signed the quarterback to the contract. And that's where everything will trace back to in the worst-case scenario. And I think that there's a chance that ownership would have appreciation, especially if the Vikings had a good defense still, for what Zimmer is able to do and say, well, you know, he's not the one that signed Kirk Cousins and let Teddy Bridgewater get away and let Case Keenum go somewhere else and didn't draft one and so so on and so forth. He's not the one that didn't sign offensive linemen. I mean, this offensive line has a good chance to be better. It also has a chance to be exactly the same as it was last year. One injury away, and your left tackle is still the same. At the most important position, the guy is not the greatest pass blocker in the league. He's below average pass blocking at left tackle. So this has a chance on the offensive line to still not be their strength. And where's that going to trace back to? It's going to trace back to the front office. So I'm not sure that Zimmer is first in line if things go wrong. Well, I do believe that Zimmer and Spielman are tied in this together. That if the ship's going down, they're both going with it. Just given how their contracts have aligned, how the last few years have played out, how, you know, who controls front office decisions, who controls roster decisions and personnel decisions, and, you know, who has the upper hand in that, in in, in draft decisions, you know, overall. Um, I do think that there is reason to believe that they would both be gone. But, you know, who else did not draft, did, did not decide to bring in uh, Kirk Cousins here? Gary Kubiak. What if it, what, what if That's it, true. what if it yeah, is I didn't really scenario. answer your question. I, I don't know on Gary Kubiak no, 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 if he but, wants to coach again. No, no, but get this. Like, what if, what if it's a Mike Zimmer, Gary Kubiak going into 2020 and the front office is gone because you still keep Gary around oh, and still have him then still be the head of your offense and be like, okay, well, we like, we like you. We want to keep you around. We want you to call plays. I, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that that's why he was brought here to be the guy backup play caller, who, right? Who Zimmer can go to. And I also think that Zimmer didn't want another inexperienced play caller by himself because of the mistake that was made with John D. Filippo. He wants to be able to say, Hey, handle it. Right. Let me go yeah. take care of the defense. As he's mentioned with us when we ask him how much, you know, day to day do you do during the, during the season with the offense? It's hard because he's managing his defense. Yep. You can't be in every single meeting. You're not, you know, you might meet with the, you might meet with your offensive coordinator and go over what you would have done and, and you know ask philosophical questions, but you're not in charge of the offense. If you have a veteran voice in there, you have somebody who has the same philosophy as you. You're old school. You guys gel and you are on the same level, and you trust him. Then you have an ability to be like, I can take a step back. I can kind of wash my hands of this because Gary's got it. And that's why it makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels, yes. bringing in Gary Kubiak here, not just handing it over to Kevin Stefanski. And they're Someone also, who's called three games in his entire life. And I mean, yes, right. he's waited for this moment, 
But you had to have some sort of contingency plan because, as you saw, with an inexperienced play caller, some of the things that can happen. Before we move on to the trade rumor, and I, it's not actually a rumor. It's very much air quotes rumor. Um, do you think uh, Filippo got scapegoated last year? Yes, I really do. And, I mean, some of it is on him. Some of it is a thousand percent on him for where and when he did and didn't run the ball. I mean, you look at the first quarter. I went back and looked at this kind of recently for a story I'm working on. They did run the ball considerably well in the first quarter. They did. But it was in the times that they needed to. Um, you think about situational football. You think about that drive in, in New England when they were up and they were within range of the Patriots and they didn't run the ball. It's those moments. At week 15, Mike Zimmer said he felt like he had to do something to save the season. So that's, you know, call it a scapegoat, call it a necessary firing. Whatever way you want to paint it, John Filippo was the fall guy. Fair or not. I kept coming back to John Filippo did a lot of things that I didn't think were the right things to do offensively. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, they play Green Bay here. They use a lot of the Shermer-like concepts that worked super well. Yeah, they had a screen game going. They had a screen game. They threw a swing pass to Delvin Cook for a touchdown. Kyle Rudolph was really involved in that game. Exactly. Take the eight yards that Kyle Rudolph's going to give you every single time. And they did those things. And then they didn't the next game, which I forget how it went. But the next couple games, they, they ignored a lot of the things that they had done really well. And it seemed that he was so obsessed, uh, D. Filippo, with scheming to each individual team as opposed to using what works for you um, that uh, he ignored things that were successful just the week before and that really fit everyone's skill sets. But I always kept coming back to, you know, John D. Filippo didn't throw it backwards to Latavius exactly. Murray. Exactly. He didn't leave Adam Thielen 20 yards wide open downfield. He didn't he overthrow didn't Diggs the, in Chicago. He didn't, yep. he didn't throw the pick uh, to Bryce Callahan, the wide open thing in Chicago. I mean, that's you, you play calling will get you so far. He didn't get strips act ever. No, he didn't. And he actually, he actually, um, debated Kirk on the yardage distance of how far you should be in the pocket on play action. Um, but there has to be a scapegoat. You're not going to, what are you going to do? You're not going to throw the quarterback under the bus in his yep. first year. You can't get rid of him unless you really want to eat $84 million. Um, you can't trade him. He has a no trade clause. I mean, there's so many things that are set up to insulate him that by and large, I think D. Filippo came in here and was kind of set up for failure to begin with, but. You know, every team has a scapegoat. I mean, there were there were there were times because of who the quarterback was and because of some of the deficiencies in his game and just the limited time. You just this guy's coming off of winning a Super Bowl and now it's coming to a team with Super Bowl expectations. Um that usually doesn't happen like that right away. I mean, I think that there was that type of pressure. And yeah, I mean, some of the scheme things were not a fit here in Minnesota. And philosophically, don't tell me week seven you against the Jets when you put up 37 points on the road and then that's the time where you're really starting to see the wheels come in glued mm-hmm. between the coaching staff, between Mike Zimmer and John Filippo and running the ball. Don't tell me that's the first time that you knew that he wanted to run the ball. That's a philosophical thing that was dating. You don't just all of a sudden be like, oh, wait, we're not on the same page? Like the Spider-Man thing, like looking at each other, like, <laughs> yeah. wait, you, me? No, that, that happened long before that. And I think that they were, you know... In a situation, I, mean, I go back to OTAs last year when Kirk was throwing reds or minicamp when he threw those back-to-back picks in the red zone um, 
day two of minicamp. That's when I started to feel like the, the wheels were coming off the bus here. It really did have that um, feeling early last year that something was not connecting. They also could not, for the life of them, in minicamp or training camp, execute a two-minute drill. Exactly. And that was... They, I mean, what happened? They weren't able to do that much that's, in the regular season, true. too. There's very much a carryover there. What I didn't understand either was um, in hiring John D. Filippo, you bring a guy in who was with the Philadelphia Eagles who ran an offense that took full advantage of their elite offensive line. They probably had the best offensive line in the league for Nick Foles that year. And you did a lot of the same things that Philadelphia did, except for with a way worse offensive line. So now it's the conversation is, well, see, Rick Dennison and, uh, you know, Gary Kubiak, they're helping the offensive line be better because of their system. Like, wait, did you think all of a sudden that you were going to get a way better offensive line? Why did you hire a coach whose system required offensive linemen to stand in there and pass block against the league's best edge rushers. Like I, I, I never quite really understood that. Um, but I, I definitely walked away thinking that the criticisms that were made of John Filippo were correct, but he was also just on the wrong end of the stick and it wasn't as much of his fault as it was painted to be. It was bad timing because they were tense and because of the way the season started out, um, you know, week three in Buffalo no one expected that, and that shock factor lasted for a while. Like, did, like yeah, holy crap, did. we need like what happened, and, and and that's a situation too where your quarterback's fumbling on back to back drives or getting strip sacked, and you're looking there and saying, okay, pressure's on, and everybody. This is a league. If it's a win now league, you're going to have a lot of times where people are out for themselves and trying to save their own jobs. And I'm not saying that that's what Mike Zimmer did, but I do think that he managed the situation. And had to and, and decided to fire John D. Filippo because he felt like that's he had to do something. It was something that required attention, even though they probably would have the, the results of those final three games probably would have been what they were, regardless of who was calling plays. But that's an interesting point because this year, with the addition of Gary Kubiak, maybe it could be Kevin Stefanski if things go wrong, but there isn't too many other places to look. You brought in Kubiak, he was supposed to solve all these problems, and you can't really point the finger at Kirk Cousins because you're the ones who paid him all that money. You knew exactly what he was. He had a big sample size to look at. They claimed, they stood up there and claimed that they watch every single throw of the guy's entire career. Okay, great. Then you, then if it goes wrong, we're going to say, but you still made a mistake or you missed all these things that, that were there. So even if Kirk Cousins does not win this year, then we're, I think, going to look toward the front office that signed him and to some extent the coaching staff that claimed to endorse that decision. And you so. know you know who those people were? It's Rick Spielman, George Payton, Mike Zimmer, John D. Filippo, Kevin Stefanski. I know I'm missing somebody else. There were about six people in that room the, the Saturday or the Sunday after D. Filippo was hired, going through and said, Are we all in agreement here? So maybe Maybe all those people are gone. If they're all the ones that agreed on Kirk Cousins being the answer to not set this franchise back five years because that's what every single quarterback in the last decade has done, has set this franchise back because you've not been able to get that position right, then maybe all those people are without jobs. It is going to be hot routes when we return. Lots to get to. Jewelry heists. We have... Team Halls of Fame. We've got nicknames. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Zulgad will be in, and we'll go around the league and ask questions about the news stories of the day. When we return, you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, 
or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy Five or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.